From ThatShelf.com, this is Black Hole Films. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. What's a black hole film, you ask? Well, you know those films you always meant to get around to watching, but you never did for whatever reason? Well, that's what they are. And this podcast is all about embracing them and checking those films off our lists and talking about them and whatever else happens to come up. I'm Canadian filmmaker Jeremy Lalonde, and I will be your host. You can follow me on Twitter at LalondeJeremy, or check out my website, JeremyLalonde.com, for more information on me and my projects. If you like the show, please subscribe to it, rate, review it, and leave a comment on whatever platform it is you're listening. It really does make a difference in helping to get more ears tuning in. And if you like this show, check out the others on the ThatShelf.com family of podcasts. And without further delay, let's get into this week's film. This is episode 175, and today I'm joined by filmmaker Jason Butler. Jason's responsible with his brother for films like First Round Down, as well as Morning is Broken. And we're going to sit down and watch a film together. Sort of. So we're sitting down to watch Ishtar. I'm Jeremy. I have not seen this movie. And I'm here with... I'm uh, Jason Butler, and I have not seen this movie either. Yeah, and you brought this up a long time ago for us to watch together. So what was your impetus for wanting to watch this? Oh, I mean, I forget at the time. It's just one of those things. It always seems to be somebody I know mentions it somewhere or an article pops up about it. And I think, man, I still haven't seen that. I really ought to check it out. And just around that time, you hit me up and you're like, hey, man, what are you doing? How about a podcast? You got a movie? And I was like, Ishtar. I need I need motivation to watch Ishtar. This is it. I've always heard of Ishtar, but like it almost feels like the punchline to a joke I don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. And you know, the I what intrigues me as well is it was such a colossal flop and everyone was really like, boo. But over the years, apparently, people are like, actually, it's pretty clever. It's pretty funny. And that may or may not be true. Uh, but I am intrigued more so because of that fact. And I'll tell you this. I assumed it was like a drama just because of the title for some reason. I uh, didn't okay. know it was a comedy until recently. Uh, and didn't know it. And, and literally just because of uh, finding a link to watch it on CTV, uh, they got the cast spoiled for me. Like I knew less than nothing about this movie other than it's like a pop culture reference. Oh, wow. I definitely knew more than that. It seemed to be one of those ones, even at the time, in my mind, and, you know, not that I was very old when this one came out, but it was one of those ones that seemed to be in the entertainment uh, section of the paper. Like, people seemed to be fascinated because it had such a huge budget, and they were, you know, they were shooting out in the middle of nowhere and had big stars, and people seemed to really feel like it was gonna suck from the get-go for some odd reason i mean it has you know really gifted actors and elaine may's great so i'm i'm really intrigued to see you know what the beef was or is or is not i'm i'm in what's the beef with uh and and so i mean you and i kind of have a history on this podcast of talking about like films that were colossal flops we did heaven's gate together did we not we, we sure did. We sure I, did. I think this one is half the running time of Heaven's Gate, so that's nice. Thank goodness. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm aware of that. I was like, well, how long is it? So 
coming in under two hours. Uh, I think I think it should be a pretty interesting ride. Uh, there's got to be some nuggets in there that uh, are, are going to make us laugh. I, I, I really believe it. Whether there it's is, intentional or not, I'm not sure. There is nothing better than going into a film with like so low expectations. Because that's just yeah. it. When, when you hear a movie that has history, this one does, it's like, well, I'm not expecting it to be great. So anything, whatever it is, I'm sure will be, and I really don't know what it, anything about it. So my, my expectations couldn't be lower. Uh, right. For this movie. It's so true. Like expectations can really kill a movie. I mean, I remember working at a video store um, and people really wanted, they were coming in in the droves saying, uh, Lost in Translation. I got to watch Lost in Translation. I've heard it's amazing. And knowing the customers, you're like, you're not going to like it. It's not. It's not the type of movie you generally rent, but and they had such high expectations. And time after time, they come back angry because their <laughs> expectations were so high. And I'm like, that that's going to kill you. Just go in expecting nothing or less than nothing. And like you said, the odds are you're probably going to enjoy it to some extent in some regard. Yeah, and blaming you if they don't like it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, I told you as gently as possible because your taste sucks. So, yeah, um, yeah, exactly. So you can blame me for this one as well if it does stink. Oh, I'm okay with it stinking. I've always wanted to watch this anyway. It's been on my list for a long time. So I'm, I'm glad that you brought it up because it's one of those Excellent. ones where I've always, it's been on, literally it's been on my movie, movie list in my notebook to watch for All years. Right. And I just, and because, but because I thought it was like this big, heavy drama, I was just like, ah, I'm not in the mood for that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right, right. Well, there we go. That's a bonus too. And, and I actually don't really know anybody who's really watched it either. It's, it's, I don't know who's seen it. It's kind of like uh, Nickelback fans, you know, you hear about them, but I don't really know anyone who's a Nickelback fan. They exist somewhere. They exist somewhere. Somebody's watched it and really disliked it in the past. Yeah. Let's find out who that is. All right, I think this is the perfect spot to jump in and watch. Boom. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. So Ishtar. Ishtar. Now I know. Now yeah. I know. Yeah. Here's the thing. Uh, you know, I'm going to let you start. You, you jump in. I, I, I don't know what to say. I mean, I... Uh, I laughed. Um, I, I think the uh, reason I was laughing changed throughout the course of the movie. Yeah. But at, you know, at first I was, uh, I was like, this is pretty, this is pretty good. I can see this. This is going to be entertaining. I'm interested. And then it was uh, a little bit cockamamie. And then they were really leaning in hard to blind camel jokes and it was gonzo. <laughs> yeah. So I did not hate it. Uh, right. That said, I can also see why it is hated. I can, you know, I can, I can understand all valid points. I think a movie like this has a very specific kind of audience for the kind of people that would love it. Um, and there's parts of it I dug, like you, it's like that first, you know, the first act, the first half hour, I was like, this is great. I don't know, like, like there is a charm to these two idiots at how right. terrible yeah. they are and yet how great they think they are. Like, I, yeah. I'm, I'm in for this. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, they go to Ishtar, obviously. But it's like, oh, I mean, I could have just watched a movie of them struggling in New York, and I'd have been happy. Exactly. 100% correct. Uh, I love the fact that uh, 
that Hoffman and, and Beatty, I mean, these, these guys are stars. They are Hollywood, you know, platinum level. And they have no vanity in this. They are just going for it. They are all in. That's what's so amazing. They and, don't hold back. Beatty in particular, that fucking hat he's wearing in the first act, that's like barely sitting yeah. on his head and just about, and Hoffman's headbands throughout just kill me. I love it. So good. And, and the fact that Beatty's going on and on about how he's like, women don't like me. And he's just like, cause he's like one of the most handsome men on the planet, but he's playing this I guy know. that's like, I can't get girls. They just don't like me. <laughs> yeah. And, and then telling Hoffman how, ha- and not that Hoffman's not a handsome guy too, but telling Hoffman how handsome he is. And Hoffman's like, yeah, I know. I just, <laughs> Like they're playing, it's almost like um, someone tried to cast them the opposite roles, and then at the last minute they're like, "No, let's switch." Uh, yeah, and, and play let's have the, some real fun with this. Yeah, that's just it. It's funny. I've accidentally uh, watched almost all of Elaine May's movies in the last couple of months. Oh wow! Really? I didn't realize she was the director. I've seen all. She only directed four movies. And I've seen all in the very short succession, except for uh, A New Leaf, which I'm going to seek out. Um, but right. I just did, yeah, I do. I just did The Heartbreak Kid for uh, a podcast episode recently, actually. And uh, right. so that'll have been on a couple episodes ago. And Well, yeah, uh, then you must have been like, yeah, seeing Charles Grodden, you know, he's so, he's so oh, funny. I love that guy. And The Heartbreak Kid is one of his... His all-time roles. So. Yeah, and they worked together on that. So it was fun seeing him here. Um, yeah, there's so much that I really enjoyed with this and so much that I, I have questions about. <laughs> uh, yeah. And and, and, and this is one of his producing projects too. So a uh, passion project for him. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't... I don't get it. I, I mean, because like you said, it was very funny at the beginning, and I don't. They were, they were trying to like mash in another movie. I, I don't know if they if they went further with the hijinks, it would have worked, you know. And again, they kind of forgot the songwriter stuff. So I really enjoyed it when when they're like crawling through the desert and they start with the songs again. Yeah, I know. I was missing that too. I was thinking it's like we've gotten away from that, and I love yeah. that it came up with the, the the most inopportune and appropriate places. Like I loved when he was sitting on the ledge about to kill himself and he started to like <laughs> sing lyrics. I'm like, yes, this is exactly who this guy is. And then while they're dehydrating in the desert, yeah, there's some songs come to mind. Yeah. That was gold. That was, that was really funny stuff. Uh, oh, who are, who are the writers? Oh yeah. It was Paul Williams. I saw at the end, it was like Paul Williams and Elaine May were the uh, writers for the songs, which is Paul Williams with all his. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Well, like, he wrote, yeah, he wrote Muppets, right? Didn't he? Yeah. He's, he's all, yeah. He does all kinds of those great, terrific, kitschy, really sharp, funny, bad songs. Like that's. It is not that easy. It is like its own skill to write bad songs. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's like you said. I didn't hate the movie, but I was definitely like uh, this. The whole Ishtar, the actual Ishtar, which is so funny because I mean, when everyone refers to it, it's like Ishtar. Uh, it was like, yeah, it's kind of a metaphor. That whole part is just so sluggish. It really sucks because they could have just done it in New York and just talked about Ishtar, and it would have been funny. Like none of that sort of uh, high jinky in the desert, oh, stuff really works, except for Charles Grodden, who is ridiculously hilarious. So. Yeah, I mean, there's some funny ideas inside of there. Like, I love, I love, 
bit about like when they're just everyone's sending them off to be killed in the desert. And uh, it's like the, the helicopter has to get low enough so it can look like they were shot from the ground. And then at one point, the guy in the helicopter is like, look, there's no way in hell now anyone's going to pre- believe that this was covert. It's like, they're, it's a legit problem. And they have very serious weapons. And then Groves like, get the hell out of here. And then 10 minutes later, he gets a phone call from the Secretary of State or whoever it is. He's like, no, we are not shooting at a man. Who told you that? Well, how does he know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, That's these- classic. That's classic Rodden for sure. He's he's so good. He makes every scene work in his own way. I mean, and even the setup to the end. Like the end again delivered. It's like they go back, they're singing live, and people are like sort of, you know, agog at what they're watching. And I was laughing again at the outrageous nature of it. Uh so yeah, but the I the whole middle, I you know, I chuckled a couple times, but that's yeah. that's it. So yeah, it has a great beginning and a great ending. Uh, yeah, the ending of them just their demands being: we need to free Ishtar from uh, political strife, and also we need a live album that <laughs> <laughs> you guys have to promote heavily. It's like, sure, 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 yeah. sure, sure. That's all uh, they're asking for. This map sounds good. Yeah, yeah. and that and oh, that one sequence. I mean, the biggest groaning sequence for me in uh, is is in this time in the desert where uh, Hoffman is doing whatever fake accent he's doing, and it's just going, and it's just one of those moments. Where it's like it might part of it's still kind of hilarious because he's not doing any particular accent, although it's like I think he's trying to pass off as Arabic, Arabic, yeah, uh, and it's like it's like oof. I can't imagine yeah. he's proud of this now. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's kind of flashing back to like Team America. Like, ah, 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 ah. it was, yeah, you're like, oh, I get what they're doing. But even in 87, this is pretty dicey terrain for humor you're mining here. Yeah. And uh, they milk that, uh, that gag about her being a boy far too long in both of those scenes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was pretty ridiculous. I did. I was getting a kick out of him just just grabbing her boobs and just going to town on it. That stuff's it. great, but it's like I, I liked when Hoffman's like, "Look, I'm just not into. It's not my thing. It's okay that you're into that." Like, I love that how pro <laughs> pro choice he is in that, and and how uh, he's very open to it. And and even when uh, I mean, I love when Beatty, when when she kisses Beatty, and he's kind of into it. And then, but then he, then, and I love the moment when he punches her only because I think it's hilarious for a guy to punch an attractive girl like that, just the way he yeah, would punch yeah. anybody. And I'd like to hope yeah. that uh, he would have punched her anyway. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. Because that's uh, just comedy. Yeah, that's good comedy, and that's sort of the turning point. After that, it kind of, you know, and though they go, he, he goes out, and then there's the trail of like the uh, the agents all dressed as. Uh, you know, Ishtarians or whatever. And, and we get a Matt Furrer cameo. Uh, yes. Yes. Totally. Right. Yeah, yeah. I saw that. I was like, Whoa, there we go. How did Matt um, Furrer end up in this movie? We'll, I'll take it. But uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, cause well, just the cast in general was pretty impressive. I mean, I guess Elaine may still had, you know, clout and everyone wants to work with her cause she's so funny and great and subversive. So I, I really wonder I think they did reshoots again. I didn't really do much research, but I seem to remember that you know the 
the budget ballooned because well, obviously they're shooting in a desert and stuff like that and overseas. But I, I really feel like something wasn't working and they tried to make it funnier. Let's do this oh, instead. Let's just throw money at it. And then realizing, Oh fuck, we've, we've, we've made a mistake. Yeah. 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 It's uh yeah, like that blind camel stuff. I was like, this is this is not funny. I can't believe we're doing another blind camel joke and another one. Well, it was fun. One. The blind camel, I'm not gonna lie, it was funny for a beat for me, and then it was like, oh, now you've yep. taken it too far. Yeah, yeah, and they didn't, they didn't, <laughs> they didn't beat a blind camel. They didn't, uh, they didn't take it far enough. Once they got to that point, it would have been nice if they uh, just kept doing the blind camel, recognizing the fact that they're they're in it to win it at this point so it comes full circle and we can get some blind camel payoffs at the end but uh never happened yeah i'm just looking up i'm curious why she uh i guess this must have fucking destroyed her directing career huh well yeah i mean she was kind of she was kind of she was doing a lot of them. You know, it was always sort of spaced out anyway. She seemed really good for spots. They were were all in the 70s. It was like A New Leaf was 71. That's the only one I haven't seen. Then Heartbreak Kid was right on the tail of that. Uh, And then Mikey and Nikki was 76. I guess, and then Istra was like a decade later. And then she never directed again. Yeah. But she revered, like... It's it's so uh, I'm curious as to if she just never if just she never got a shot. But it's not like I mean outside of Ishtar, all the movies she made before that were all like kind of these indie comedy movies. You know, it's yeah, like, I mean, yeah, she don't, was like I believe the like the first female writer director of anything. She was you know first one who wrote and, and directed her own film in Hollywood. Yeah, and uh, so you know, it's and like, Nichols and May, huge. But I guess that's what it was. It was like they gave her money, big money for Ishtar for the first time. It's like, look, we uh, we tried the woman out and uh, it didn't work. So right. they ruined it for everybody else for for a long time. But <laughs> yeah. it's just like, it's, it's kind of a shame that she didn't do more because God, like when she's on fire, she's on fire. Like the stuff that's funny in this movie and that works, works so well. You know, right. just and their relationship is is hilarious and charming. It yeah, was just a you, bad choice. At, at some point, I'm sure she was like, she was probably developing these two characters, and then someone was like, "Wouldn't it be hilarious if they're stuck in the desert?" And it's like, and then, and it was one of those like terrible ideas that she should have laughed off, and then went no, yeah. but she didn't. Then she leaned into it hard. Uh, yeah, it seemed like that. That's where it, w- it went out of her element, um, you know, and, and the stuff that was more intimate, more character stuff, you know, being, you know really simple stuff uh, was great. And that's that's what she's good at, that her character comedy stuff. And then you let's take a nice child. Like you said, it seemed like it was out of control and her sensibilities probably just didn't mesh with the, the scope of what they were like, trying to do in the sort of. I don't know the eighties Farsi military thing. Like it had it had eighties written all over it in general. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, the, um, the huge yeah. high it's, concept. Yeah, that's just too yeah. bad because it's like is it the movie uh, didn't need it. Didn't need that high concept. Like those two characters are great enough. Yeah, they could they could have bumbled around New York 
forever. And I could have kept watching it, just seeing what they were doing and just oblivious to their own sort of inabilities. But yeah, I want to see direction. Yeah, I'd love to see a version of Ishtar that's like basically just follows the same plot line of Inside Lewin Davis. There you go. Yeah, exactly. but with these two characters. Oh, ah, so that stuff was great. Uh, yeah, I could have I could have kept watching that all you know and watch them try and make songs out of all the shitty things that keep happening to them. Songs <laughs> talking about them. And just watching their lives get worse and worse, but their songs continue to like get better or worse (laughs) in a good, like better, worse, whatever that is. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of an inverse sort of thing happening there. That would have been great because they were just living in denial. And here's the thing. It's like, we always talk about how, uh, you know, Oh, this movie shouldn't be remade. We should not remake this movie because it's so good. Isn't Mm. that someone needs to remake Ishtar. But with yeah. the idea, but with just keeping it in New York, you know, cast uh, Kristen Wiig and um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Melissa McCarthy? Uh, McCarthy, cast those two in it together. And uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm in. I will watch Ishtar and just have them sing a song called Ishtar. And that's how you, you do the name. But do a remake of Ishtar, keeping those two characters just bumbling and not having to go off on a wacky adventure. And right. you've got a great, uh, a great uh, modern film that still works. A hundred percent. I am with you. Let's see that happen. If they did a song called The Blind Camel, that would be good too. A nice reference. Yeah. Throw uh, all the references yeah. in for the fans of the original. Yeah, yeah. This, this now makes me want to go on a deep dive and just find out, like, see who the people are that, like, completely hate it and people who love it. And, and and look for those online fights that have existed at some point. Right, because I, I do remember again back in the day, it was there was a lot of uh in Hollywood jokes going on that people weren't aware of. Um, you know, which I have no idea about that some people rub some people the wrong way, and while other people thought it was hilarious. But uh yeah, again, the decision making process and how that's what I always find fascinating, like how these movies get to this point. You know, every, someone has to agree along the way, like, yeah, let's go to Ishtar. Yeah, desert. That's funny. That's hilarious. These are these are funny. This is going to be amazing. And just yeah. how it just sort of derails. According to IMDb trivia, um, Martin Scorsese, Tarantino and Edgar Wright are all fans of the film. Really? Like beginning to end, like that would be interesting to hear that that opine. I'd uh, love to hear that commentary track with those three talking about yeah. this movie. Yeah, just getting off about it. Yeah, wow, those are big names to go on record like that. I wonder if they were fans at the time as well. Like it came out and they're like, "This is amazing." Versus again, ah, now I see it again in a different light. This is pretty good. I think also it's the idea of um, expectations. You know, would this have been uh, maybe a better movie in terms of overall people thought it was hilarious if it didn't have such huge stars in those roles? It could have, you know, I don't know. Because there's that expectation. These guys are this type of people. So seeing like this, uh, you know, brings with it a little baggage when you're watching it, which I enjoyed. I enjoyed seeing them do it myself. 
Yeah. Well, that sort of thing. So it says the film's reception was so awful that it helped coin a new Hollywood term in relation to writer and director Elaine May, movie jail. The term referred to somebody who was perceived failure as a director was so profound they would not be allowed to helm a movie again for a very long time, if ever. So the firm movie jail came from this movie and Elaine May. That's harsh, man. Cause it's not, it's not terrible. I guess maybe at the budget level, it's, it was shocking. I mean, it was a huge, it wasn't even a huge flop. There must've been bigger flops. I mean, I think it made 14 mil or something. It was on a 55 mil budget. Yeah. Guess- and the only way she, uh, it wasn't until 10 years later that she was even given a shot to write something again. And that was with Mike Nichols, who was her old comedy partner. And they did, right. uh, she co-wrote or wrote the, the birdcage and then primary colors after that. But right. That's crazy. I wonder did, if part of it was her attitude or something like that seems because it, it's so funny how Hollywood works the opposite way. So often where you have one hit, and then you can have a string of duds in a row and nobody says anything because you can still hang your hat off that one time that you made money or that you were the star of a movie and you were great. And they'll just keep throwing you at the wall, you know, 10 more times before you get turned down. And she does one bust and that's it. Well, it's because she was a woman, right? They just wouldn't, a, a dude would have bounced back from that back then. Yeah. You, you would think, yeah. right? Or they would have went, ah. Yeah, but it's too bad because she was on, like, she had written, uh, like, she had met Warren Beatty because she wrote he- the Heaven Can Wait remake. Uh, right. And she knew, and she was also, like, a very famous script doctor. I think she did an uncredited rewrite on Tootsie, which is probably how Dustin Hoffman would have probably hung out with her or knew her. Right. Um, so she was, like, a Hollywood it girl behind the scenes on the rise in her own right with her own name. But like saving some scripts along the way, uh, yeah, yeah. That's uh, I mean that would be another fascinating a little behind the scenes. Get the juice. I mean, did did she rub Hoffman the wrong way or Beatty? I mean, or were they? Says Hoffman claims Warren Beatty told him several times on set in confidence that he had made a mistake by agreeing to produce and star in the film. Huh. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating uh, stuff. Like, which is so too was, bad because he's so charming in it. He's great. I mean, he's in it to win it. Like those Springsteen esque classic 80s ensembles he was wearing are wicked. He, he you wouldn't know that he wasn't, he was aware that he might be a part of a, a dud. Like he yeah. seemed like he, he loved it. And embraced it. But I guess that's what you got to do as producer as well. He just got to go all in once at a certain point. Yeah, it says the film's fair didn't affect the relationship between Beatty and Hoffman, who both liked the final cut of the film. Beatty later cast Hoffman and Dick Tracy, right? He played Mumbles right. or something like that. I remember his scene. Yeah. Yeah, uh, wow. yeah so it wasn't, it, wasn't uh, it, it didn't star permanently in that regard. And they actually kind of liked it at the end. So I mean, Weird stuff. Never it's a, know. It's a movie. I don't know how. I, I think again. It's, a, it's just. I'm, it's a mixed bag for me. I didn't. But I did not hate it for sure. Right. Uh, I, I I thought it was charming in a lot of places, and bizarre as hell in others. Uh, right. You know, it's not a movie I ever need to rewatch, but it's a movie 
I'm fascinated to read more about. Mm-hmm. It's one 100%. of those ones. And, and I'm glad I watched it. And, and now I know that that's where the term movie Joe came from. <laughs> but more, yeah. I'm just kind of like sad thinking that it's like, here was like a real talent on the rise. And she made one, I'm going to call it a half dud, you know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. because some of, some of it, you can see where her talents are in this. Uh, and then she never got a chance to do it again, which is such a shame. She was born too early. <laughs> there you go. I I read that she just won uh, like a, a Tony on Broadway, I think, just last year. Uh, like the oldest ever For, as an actress. Uh-huh. Like the last thing I yeah. saw her in as an actress was the, the Woody Allen Crisis and Six Scenes for Amazon. His little mini series he did. Oh, okay, I've never seen that. Oh, cool. She, she's in a bunch of his stuff. Uh, it's not great. It's okay, but right, it's right. Uh, it's the that I mean that's a funny story too. When Woody did uh, that, it's like a six episode series for Amazon. They 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 agreed to produce a, a series for him without knowing anything about it, and all the stories coming right out of it is as soon as he agreed to it, he regretted it instantly and said it was the most miserable time he ever spent working on anything right. because i do remember that part yeah okay. i just thought that was hilarious he's like oh i gotta write six episodes <laughs> what was i thinking it made it made me remember me all the old uh old larry david stories every time they renewed seinfeld he was just like oh we gotta write more <laughs> of these things <laughs> classic classic larry david yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, Ishtar, like you said, I'm glad I watched it. I feel like I didn't miss anything. Like, I don't think, I don't think it would improve. Uh, you know, I probably enjoy the beginning as much. I'd probably enjoy the ending as much. Just seeing those guys singing, but I feel like I got every nuance. There was nothing hidden for me to uncover on a second viewing. Yeah, I could rewatch the first act again just for fun and for joy. Uh, that yeah. songwriting sequence was phenomenal for me. And and pardon me, once yeah. there's, if that whole thing was scripted, it would blow my mind because I'm like, some of this feels like they're just killing themselves with some improv and having a lot of fun. Uh, I agree, 100%. Either yeah. way, I'm, I'm impressed whether it was improv or written because uh, right. it's it's great either way. Yeah, I mean, they are acting giants, so I could totally see... If it was written by Paul Rogers, they could totally make it feel like it was improv because they're that talented. For yeah, sure. Paul Williams, Paul Williams. Paul Williams, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, great. Any other final thoughts? No, I think I think that's it. I mean, I've, I've got it. I was watched <laughs> it. Uh, you can't really dig too deep on it. I think the stuff worth digging deep on is the behind the scenes. How it yeah. ended up being made and, and how all the decision process and why – movie jail afterwards for so long i mean it was definitely expectations i'm sure once it was green lit and they heard who was in it for how much people were just waiting for it to fail and you know they were i don't know digging themselves out from a hole that they never really did dig themselves out of no well i mean the, the worst part is is that it's like again this typical hollywood especially at this age where it's like you know the people that come out of that like hoffman and uh and Beatty come out of this movie unscarred, you know, but May doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Like she takes the brunt of it, 
like those two guys didn't have some sort of say in what was being made or, you know, flip baby, side, they, they could have maybe said like, I don't want to do this. That's, that's, that's too outrageous for the character. I can easily see them doing that where it could have harmed the comedy. Yeah. But it's like, but Beatty in particular, who is a producer on this is like, you know, he walks off and goes and, and continues to have a great career as a director and as an actor for the rest of his career. It doesn't affect him. It's just a blip on his radar where for Elaine May, it's, it's like the end of the line for at least a decade anyway. And then she, you know, she, she starts going back to the writing work a decade later, but fuck, it's just, it's just another one of those sad stories of, uh, of someone who shouldn't have been given such a, 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 shouldn't have been sent to movie jail maybe movie timeout yeah maybe yeah a little timeout a little dunce cap in the corner perhaps you know once bitten twice shy thing but yeah a decade is too long uh <clears throat> very much so and uh, uh so elaine may we, ap- we, ap- we apologize to you elaine may for for that the harsh treatment you got from this not terrible movie yeah just not, just not enough for the budget and the stars. Everyone wanted more. Yeah, if someone were to ask me, should I watch Ishtar? I would say, yes, you should, because it's fascinating. And uh, yeah. it will not bore you. No, no. It, it, it warrants further study, for sure. Just not film analysis. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Further study, not necessarily high level film analysis. That is a great note. That is a great note to go out on. Cool, man. Uh, Well, thanks so much for, uh, for making me finally get around to watching this. Uh, Yes. And you too. Thanks for hunting it down. That was, uh, that was, that was definitely worth it. My pleasure. All All right. right, we'll, We'll do this again. All right, sounds good. Let's all go to the. Thanks for joining us for Ishtar. Black Hole Films is a proud member of the That Shelf Podcast Network. You can listen to other episodes of our show and other That Shelf podcasts on thatshelf.com. Please subscribe, leave comments, spread the word, do all the things that let others know you like the show and how they can check it out. You can find me on Twitter at Lon Jeremy and go to Facebook and join the group Black Hole Films. And until next time, Go watch something you've never seen before. Thanks. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.